Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. This is Ant from Your Property Network magazine. And um, today I'm talking to a very good friend of mine. And I was was actually struggling to figure out how to introduce him. So he's been a guest writer in the pages of YPN for many, many years. We've known each other for probably the best part of a decade now. He is a serial entrepreneur with multiple businesses, including many in property and property education and, and business education. And I always feel I'm a bit too thick to understand the stuff he talks about sometimes. So he's going to hopefully dumb it down for me today. Um, so my guest today is Dan Hill. Uh, so Dan, welcome, welcome to the call. How you doing, Anne? Good to see you. I was actually chatting to South partner last night and I was saying it's uh, 10 years tomorrow, April, that I wrote the first article for YPN. So we've been working together in that capacity for 10 years. Is it really? Yeah. Decades. And you spoke well, at our first event in 2014 which is like eight years ago. And, you know, I um, actually, uh, I said something at that event and I had more people come up to me following that than I've ever had. Um, and oh, I, I think I remember. It, it, it was about, I, was, I know who was on the stage. We were on the stage with two really, really successful people. I don't really know what I was doing there. And they were talking about, you know, growing these very big businesses and how they wanted to change the landscape and the cities they lived in because they were, one of them was really big into property and, Someone asked about me, what do you do when I do? And I said, well, you know what? I want, I want to have enough money to enjoy a really nice lifestyle, take my kids to school in the morning, walk my dogs, you know, cycle in the hills and still enjoy what I do. Um, and, and loads of people came up and were like, actually, do you know what? That's me. That's what I want to achieve. So I remember, yeah, it was the, like, the family man sort of thing. And it's, that's one of the big things we teach on Property Entrepreneur now. It is life by design. You know, if you want to be an empire builder or you want to be a family woman or man it's entirely up to you the main thing is you know what you want and you go and get it it's very easy to get seduced by the rest of it absolutely and buy into other people's vision of success i guess as well so uh, exactly so um today i wanted to sort of talk to you and I'm, I'm not going to say challenge you because that's a bit confrontational and i'm not that guy but um you use a phrase uh, uh, a lot uh, that is success or, or failure is entirely predictable so when we're talking about uh, property or, or, or business or, I guess, other aspects of life as well. And I wanted to sort of get you on today and ask, well, what do you mean by that? And, and, and can we see some examples of that, of when success and perhaps even more importantly, failure was predictable? And does it still ring true in the world we're currently living in, which is a fairly unpredictable uh, world right now you know we're just coming out of as at the point of this recording we're just hopefully coming out of sort of global pandemic hopefully not on the verge of world war three but who knows it, these are unpredictable times um so i read i read that phrase a lot you, you use that phrase a lot so what do you mean by that so 
like happy to be challenged on it. I think the most value we get from this conversation is really challenging it because it's a mindset and I do stand by it. I'll nail my flag to it. I think success and failure are very predictable, whether you're talking about economics or finance or property or investment or like we were talking about health and weight cutting. There is no very little of it is there's very few variables in it it's um there's a blueprint for everything there's very few new problems and whilst not everybody will know the things you need to know for its success and failure to be predictable you know i'm learning to play the piano and if i learn everything my teacher who's done uh big concerts and things if i learn everything he does and i follow what he teaches me i'll be successful whereas if I have my lesson on a Monday, I don't do my training and follow what he does or think I'm cleverer or think I'm doing less time, you know, the outcome is going to be predictable either way. And I think, I don't know where, where to start with. I think the main thing to start with is, is the mindset. It's encouraging people that success and failure are very predictable. They are, I can meet, I've met entrepreneurs who are making hundreds of millions and I've met entrepreneurs who are losing tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. And when I look at what they're doing, it doesn't surprise me. It's, it's not like, we're not playing casino. It's there's a there's a blueprint and a, a model and a strategy for everything. So the broadest term, I think, mindset-wise, it stands. And then I suppose it's let's explore: is does it still ring true today? And I think one of your points was in a very unpredictable world: is success very success and failure? Are they very predictable? And probably the best place to start is differentiating between cause and effect. So the cause is everything that's outside of our control. So things are always going to happen outside your control. And as an entrepreneur, you've just got to roll with that. You've got to appreciate your life is going to be riding a roller coaster. If you're employed, a lot of that movement and risk and disturbance happens above you. And the company can either pay your salary at the end of the month or it can't. You don't have the worries above and beyond that. As an entrepreneur, you carry all of that weight. You know, you've got to worry about the market, making revenue, finance, things like that. I think the first thing to explore is probably cause and effect. And cause is everything that's outside of our control. So most recently, COVID, um, currently global supply chain issues, Russia, Ukraine, international conflict. And then you're rolling into the predictable. You're rolling into the predictable impact of that, which we're going to now experience, which is everything from... You can't go to the shop. You go to the shop and they haven't got eggs or newspapers all the way to we could. It's quite likely we'll see double digit inflation, which six months ago would never have. The government wanted inflation. They, they, you know, they didn't see it coming. So that's the first thing. There's all those things you can't control. But then the predictable element is what do you do with it? Like all those things have happened. Then how do you behave? And this is 150% predictable. If you behave in certain ways, you will do well. And your success will be guaranteed despite what's going on. If you do badly or you make the wrong decisions or you bury your head in the sand, failure is almost inevitable. You will, you will fail. So how you, the cause is out of control, not predictable, never will be. There'll always be something, whether it's global recession, pandemics, or the Kardashians getting divorced, whatever it is. Like There's always a panic. You can't talk people out of a panic. You've got to look at what's there, read, read it, and then behave accordingly. And I think probably before I hand back to you, is COVID was the worst thing that could happen to an entrepreneur or an economy. Lockdown, 
You can't make sales. You can't open shops. You can't go to venues. Everyone's locked in their house. Failure for all business, failure for all businesses that did nothing was inevitable. But it was absolutely inevitable. Those that looked at it and then pivoted or changed or took action, this is the benefit of being an entrepreneur, probably twofold. One is we like change because you get first mover advantage, low competition, high margins. Change is good. But then also we're dynamic because we're small businesses rather than big multinationals. We can, we can move overnight, whereas some of the big boys would take weeks or months to, to get there. And how you behave reflects what you achieve. And our mantra at PPN UK is every single year, I've been in business 20 years this year, every year we want it to be our best year yet. And last year was COVID. We we're like, well, this is, gonna, this is destined to be the worst year. But because we did certain things, lots of things, we ended up having another best year ever. And we made, we had more progress, more success in that year than we had in any year previous. And not just by like a couple of hundred thousand pounds, by several million pounds, because we looked at a really disturbed, volatile market and figured out, right, what do we need to do? How do we do it? And how do we do it quicker than anyone else to capitalize? And, you know, all of our businesses survived, thrive, and we did have the best year ever. Do you think there are, some um, sectors though where it's very very difficult to pivot and it's very difficult to see an advantage so for, ex for example the nighttime economy you know kind of clubs and bars which were shut for you know I don't know what was it a year more than a year um, they can't really do a sort of virtual offering of what they're um, of what they do do you think that that um, there are those sectors where actually when something comes along there is nothing that they can do, and therefore the unpredictable will wipe them out. Yeah, I think we're very lucky to be in property. If there was one sector you wanted, apart from healthcare to a degree, like, yeah, say that not flippantly, but um, if there was one sector you wanted to be in, it was property. You know, the market got condensed, then we had a huge boom. Construction, with the ex ex exception of a few weeks, was, was al allowed to continue. And with the exception of having trouble to get plaster and things like that, we could carry on and we, you know, we did well. So there is a degree of, I don't even want to say luck, but it worked in our favour. Other end of the sector where they're completely locked down, didn't stand a chance, like nightclubs, absolutely. It's complete, very unfortunate. It's restaurants, very unfortunate, very damaging, very crippling. So there's always a level of impact. So that's like your health. If you get a cold, you'll get over it. You know, if you've got something terminal, it's significant. But there's also then how you behave about it. You know, like, did you prepare for it? Are you in poor health? Because you've neglected your health for the last 20 or 30 years, in which case, are success and failure very predictable? They probably are. When the restaurant economy, I mean, the restaurant economy has been a, a real lean, with the exception of a few, a very lean industry for a long time, very small margins. And small margins are one thing because they make you very sensitive to change. And we wouldn't recommend going into any business that makes Ideal, like ideally less than, or, or sorry, as a minimum, 20%, 25% triple net profit. Ideally, look for the needle in the haystack businesses that are doing 30, 40. We've got businesses that do over 50% profit, which just success and failure is more predictable. You're more robust, you're more lucrative, you can be more flexible. And the restaurant industry, yes, they were impacted harder, but did they prepare? Like when we went into lockdown, the average working capital of a restaurant was fit was 15 days so 
when the music stops, you've, you've got 15 days cash in the bank to keep going and then the shit hits the fan. Whereas Microsoft or PPN UK, we hold 12 months working capital in the bank. So it's like, if you took it at a macro level like that, success and failure are very predictable. Who's going to be able to, the, the tide will always change. And when it does, when the water goes out, who's wearing their trunks? And if you've got a year's worth of cash in the bank, like Bill Gates or uh, PPN UK, you can, success is more predictable. So, if you're, so you're, talking, in, you're talking there about putting yourself in the best position to ride out a storm that comes along and, and positioning yourself to be in that strongest position when the unknown does, I guess, inevitably happen, the kind of black swan event, if that comes along. Well, that's the good thing about success and failure. When you say about is it predictable, a black swan event, for nobody who knows, is basically what causes recession. Something random. It'll always be something you didn't expect, like subprime markets, although that was completely predictable. You, know, you look back now and think, when was 125% mortgages ever a good idea? In hindsight, is success and failure very predictable? Yes. I would say it's that risk and return mechanism. If you want to run a development company in the hundreds of millions and you're raising, you're using the funds on this current build to pay for the other one you're trying to finish and hoping you get planning for the next one to pay for this one, it doesn't take much, much more than a little bump in the road and it's game over. Whereas if you do one development at a time, you know, we do our current development's 10 million pound GDB. But if we're doing one development, and we've got seven figures cash around us and we've de-risked it into four different blocks and you do it in phases and you've got plans A, B, C, all the way to Z. Success and failure are far more predictable for someone like that than they are borrowing half a million quid to do an option on a car park where if you don't get the planet, you lose half a million quid of someone else's money. It's like, it's that spectrum of risk and return that plays into the predictability of it. Okay, so let's, it's good that we actually kind of move this on to property now. So for people who are, let's say, starting out now or restarting out, because we, we meet a lot of people that are in that situation. They're either new to property or they've done property. You know, they've got a portfolio or whatever, but um, maybe things have changed and they want to kind of refocus. How do they start? What advice can you give to them to make sure that that success is predictable? And what strategies can they should they be looking at and perhaps most importantly you know what are the big pitfalls to avoid where failure is is predictable yeah absolutely so i think there's probably like three elements to it there's one about how to approach it the second is the different strategies you can do and then the third is understanding in today you know i see today as the best opportunity ever because you know we're still in business there's loads of change but there's so much like, i'm doing a presentation next week on property entrepreneur about what I've done in the last four weeks strategically to my businesses to get ready for this next six to 12 months of basically a high inflation. And I'm, I'm excited about it. It's going to be great. The returns are going to be fantastic. But if I buried my head in the sand, I would be in big trouble. So well, it's, it, it's interesting because I think a lot of people will be listening to this or watching this and going, well, well is it the best time ever? You know, we're, we're in what may be a, a vastly overheated property market with mortgages becoming more expensive um and so what are the opportunities for me if i'm looking at this now because you know ev everything that comes on the market is sold in minutes or you know before anyone even goes through the door so what are those opportunities because there's definitely going to be a lot of people going well i can't see them like literally such good questions so let's come back to best time ever okay. and start 
because you're absolutely right. Success and failure are very predictable. If you're running around at the minute trying to buy a three-bed semi-detached house on the open market, you are wasting your time. You are absolutely wasting your time. Whereas if you go somewhere else, you'll find a deal. So it's all about playing the game. Um, so first off is people who are starting is like where to look. The biggest thing here about success and failure, very predictable is, and this is something that I tell all of our property entrepreneurs, and I guarantee 95% of them will never listen to, is slow and steady wins the race. Like without a doubt, if you watch what we've done over our career, we've not been the fastest, we've not been the biggest, but we've been around for the longest. And I would say some of our businesses are the most lucrative in the industry. Slow and steady wins the race. You have to earn your stripes. So start off with, I started off with when I came into property in 2011, I'd built businesses before I had a bit of cash behind me, which in fact, I didn't actually end up using. I used other people's money. But the first thing I did was I've never bought a house before. Before I start doing HMOs and flips and developments, I'm going to buy a house from a deal source. So I pay someone five grand, three bed house in Sheffield, probably one of the best deals I've ever bought, still own it today. Say just a single there. I was like, right, I need to know how the process works. So I'm just going to buy one. It's not going to be a Mac banging deal. It's not going to be no money down. It's going to be that you get your education one way or another. You pay for it or you, you, you pay for it or you pay for it. Pay someone else for it or you pay for it yourself. So single lets. Then I did a three bed house. I turned into a four bed HMO. Then a four bed into a five bed. Then I did two six beds. Then I started doing eight beds, 12 beds, 20 beds. Then I started doing flats. Six flats, 10 flats, 18 flats. Our current scheme's 88 flats. And it's like everyone wants to be the overnight success. Uh, what's the quote? Um, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. So it's like that's the biggest. But we feedback. do see them, don't we? We do see a lot of people who go big very fast. And unfortunately, we see a lot of those people fail. You know, they're over leveraged or overextended and just taking on too many projects or whatever it is. They borrow too much money. But unfortunately, you know, we, you, you can't avoid it. You read the property forums on, online and, you know, it, it's littered with people of those overnight successes who did go very, very fast and have paid a price. And again, success and failure is very predictable there because some industries, like I've got lots of investments in, it, in different companies. We've got an incubator uh, on Property Entrepreneur where we do startups with other people and some of, some of them make complete sense to go really fast because basically we call them milking the cow business the logic is this is an absolute like 40 50 percent profit margin business and we need to make the most of it while it's there because it could turn to dust tomorrow so because we know that we structure it in a way where we draw in every month we build it on back-to-back -back leases so we know that if the domino falls we can cut it and get out but it's built with a today mindset if you want to play the long game and you want to, you know, it takes 20 years to build a reputation, five years to ruin it, you do have to slow things down. So that would be the sort of where to start with right now would be small rent to rent, single lets, service accommodation. I mean, you can still get apartments, do service accommodation, buy them, lease them. There's loads of flats in the big cities. Um, that would be where to start. And then probably sounds like a bit of a conflict because I own an education company and you obviously own YPN but everything I've ever done well has been because I've paid for my knowledge so if you think in our industry and the big names in our industry that do mentoring I'm either friends with them or I'm clients of theirs or I've done business with them and I've in some cases made them half a million pound in other cases I've paid them a hundred thousand or quarter of a million pound 
it's like you've got to invest you've got to spend money to make money to a degree well it, um, I, I think we also need to sort of add a just a, a, a word of caution there as well because unfortunately i'm a i'm actually a massive believer in paying to learn from people who know how to do this you know who, who've trod it before you trod the path before you and can guide you along the way i think it's the smartest thing and it stops you losing the shirt off off your back um but we need to be careful who we learn from and um you know our, our industry is unfortunately there are a few people who are maybe running courses or um programs and they don't have that much experience themselves and sometimes they don't have your best interests at heart so can you give some some tips really on how to choose who to learn from perhaps so probably two things to cover both bases one is look for the people that have been around a long time and there's always you're always going to you know dig as far as you want there'll always be a couple of people you know go on amazon to a product that's got five thousand good reviews there'll always be five people that were disappointed look for those people that have been in industry a long time good track record loads of case studies and they've been around for decades rather than weeks that's definitely one and then the other one, which I think is why property entrepreneurs are so important, like so so popular, is that they walk the talk. So literally on property entrepreneur, we teach in a workshop, this is what we recommend you do. And then we've either literally done it the week before, or we're doing it at the same time as the delegates, and we're walking the talk. You know, running a training company is not my job. My job is I am an entrepreneur, I'm an investor, I'm a developer. And it just had so happens also train other people how to do that and i do capitalize on it it's another revenue stream i'm not gonna you know it's a seven-figure business i'm not gonna say it's not a like a capitalist business but it's a win-win-win and that's why it's always oversubscribed similar to ypn i mean why how many people unsubscribe i've been subscribed to ypn for a decade it's like yeah do, do you know what it, it happens yeah it happens and i always i, I always don't can't get my head around it really because because YPM magazine costs you kind of less than the cost of two cups of coffee. Yeah, it's about that a month. And, um, you know, you get the magazine and the app and all that stuff. And we see people who subscribe and then they unsubscribe. And I think, well, okay, I get it. If, you know, you got caught up in the moment and property isn't going to be your thing. That's some people. But for some people, they, they, they're literally costing, the, you know, looking at less than £10 a month and thinking, well, that's expensive. And you think, Do you know what, I've, I've written stuff in there and I've read stuff in there, which is, you know, made me or saved me 10 grand, 20 grand, 50 grand or 100 grand, whatever. And um, it's interesting people that put a price on it, even at that kind of price tag. Yeah. And it's, uh, so yeah, that, that would be my two things. Some, go with somebody that's a mentor who's walked the talk and does it or go for a professional coach and trainer who either knows it better, like an academic, like Jordan Peterson, someone like that is a, an academic, but they really, really know what they're talking about. Someone like me has got all the scars, war wounds, grey hairs and wrinkles from getting it wrong and getting it right. There's not much. If you want to follow up to where I am, there's not much I don't know to get there. And yeah, someone like that would be recommended. So you say you've got the scars, you know, things not working out or not working. So can we, you know, can we look at why that's happened as well? Because, you know, you say now, after having learned this for over two decades, success and failure is, is, is predictable. When you look at the things that did fail, um, it, in retrospect, why did that happen and what were the lessons that you learned? And, and could you give us an example of the? Yeah, so I actually did an interview the other day and someone was saying, what are your biggest failures? And I do, I know this sounds like cliche or corny, but I don't, 
I don't ever look back and think, oh, that was a failure. I wish I never did it. But there's a good quote that says, you either win or you learn. And I, I think that's what the journey of doing it. You can have the best advice and direction in the world, but you're still going to miss hit things sometimes. So I did a podcast on the, the official Property Entrepreneur podcast the other day called The Man Behind the Mic. And um, in there, I talk about a few sort of examples. And I would say what one of the ones I offered was practice what you preach. You know, I can say to you, slow and steady wins the race. Don't go a million miles an hour. But when you're on a, on a wave and it's all exciting, you've got deals coming in left, right and centre, it's very hard to maintain that discipline. And I did a roll-up of a group of companies over the last sort of three or four years. And really what I should have done there, this again, this on that podcast, is when it got to big national, eight offices, I should have then sold it to somebody with the expertise to take it to the next level. But I didn't. And I didn't, I didn't even try and take it there myself. I just sort of stood in no man's land. And I ended up selling it two years later. But I probably should have sold it earlier. Um, same with some of my portfolio. My Lincoln portfolio, I started building it in 2011, scaled it up. 2012, 13, all the way to 16, 17. And it was flying, 100% occupancy, doing deals off market, no money down, or all money out, we finance for lawyers. And I scaled it up to 200 rooms in about two years, two, two and a half years. It was real, one of those rocket ones. But then the market got saturated, Article 4 came in. And I just sat there for like two years. I had other businesses I was playing with as well, but I watched the portfolio deteriorate over about two years, like occupancy drop, rents come down. And it got to a point really where I do think some of those HMOs probably for two or three years never made me any money. And I should have tapped out at the top. The market was hot. I ended up, I did tap out at the top in the end. I sold it all at the top of the capital value, but cash flow wise, I should have moved quicker. Um, and that's definitely it, a lesson. It's quite difficult though, after you've built a portfolio, isn't it, to let go of them um I, I don't know i think we all feel that you know it, it, it took you time and hard work and whatever and energy to to buy this thing and get it up and running and so to um sell it uh, oh yeah you realize the, the the capital gain and you know put money in the bank but it is difficult to let go of one of your babies like that i think there's a psychological element of it and that probably applies to multi-let. Like I did love having multi-let, you know, big team, head office, national office, good for the ego, good fun at times. Yeah, I, I think there's probably a bit of that. And that's that's supposed to gift and the curse of the entrepreneur. We do what we do because we're enthusiastic, passionate, emotionally bought in. And that has real great benefits of getting business off the ground. The downside is sometimes it masks our judgment. We can be a little bit, we can turn a blind eye when perhaps we shouldn't. So yeah, I'd, I'd I'd agree with you on that one. Yeah. Okay. And um, I, I was thought it'd be interesting to talk about one of the things that you think has really helped you along the way. And I thought I'd share an example as well, if that's okay. Because I think, Absolutely, yeah. you know, kind of through, through my own sort of development projects and in the magazine business, in the gym business that we own, um, I think actually the key has always been working with other people who, A, sort of share a value, you know, they're, they're, and, and the, probably the biggest value is when, when uh you know when things look bad they they get down and they work and they find a way through they don't bury their head in the sand you used that phrase early on the kind of ostrich thing and i think probably it's the worst thing that anybody can do and the most tempting thing for us all to do is to you know just not look at the problem 
Um, so working with, a, with, with people who are better than you at whatever it is, you know, a, a finance director or a, an amazing architect or a project manager or someone who's just in, in the trenches with you, I think has made all the difference to me. I would not want to do this on my own. Um, I think it'd be very, very lonely. Um, I don't know. Do you feel the same? So I think, yeah, I, I think definitely. I think there's definitely a connection element to it. I think more, for me, it would be more strategically, is one of the biggest things I've learned is you want to be able to do nothing and delegate everything and also be like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I'd, I'd welcome anyone to challenge my team around me and say they're not world-class, whether they're construction company or our construction company or they're, heads of our companies or my executive assistant, people who run our companies, our speakers, they're all world-class. Like they are literally, they can do their jobs 10 times better than I ever could. And that's the aim of the game is to go out and surround yourself with superstars and then have stars under them. So strategically, that definitely rings true for me. And doing it with people you like working with is just a, a pleasure. It's hard enough being an entrepreneur, let alone if you don't enjoy it. If you're working with tough people, that's, that's no good. Um, do you, on the on the entrepreneur program, do you see that people struggle to delegate and take a step away because they they started out on a point where they maybe they did everything and um, they they feel it very find it very difficult to let go of the reins? So that like one of the best questions I've been asked on an interview for ages. So. I sit on boards of some seven-figure companies and the bit, one of the biggest challenges I have is getting the founder, who's now the CEO or the MD, to, to reset their mindset. And when you start in business, you've got a small business and it is your baby, you want to do everything and you want to be involved in everything and you, and you want to see everything. The other end where you want to get to, which is I would say where I am it, it, like it, explicitly now, is... Um, do nothing but I don't want to do anything if there's anything to do with the business it's not what do I do or when do I do it or how do I do it it's who is going to do that for me and yeah you've got to move there's a time and a place you know in the in the start phase it's you in the middle phase it's the band of brothers so it's you and the, your friends and the, the first group it's all great but then when you switch gears and go up to the dream team where everyone's got a space everyone's a specialist the aim of the game there is that you're just not not involved yourself at all um i went to our head office this week and it's the first time i've been there since we moved in and we moved in in like december and i didn't ha i haven't got a key i didn't know where the toilets were it's like it's just a business i own and people that i trust to run them i, I just work here in the office i work in coffee shops because i like working on my own so it's each to their own on that one yeah and, and as you said as we kind of come towards the end of this interview i wanted to talk about the, the stuff that you enjoy as well because you also talk about life by design a lot and um i, I guess well, perhaps you can explain what you mean by that and what it means for you and what you know your your designed life is so if you don't have a life by design you'll live a life by either default which is you just go with emotions and life will just take drag you along or life by comparison. And you look at social media, your mates, your influence circle, and you follow what they're doing. Life by design is something that we do annually on Property Entrepreneur, October, November, December, every year. We look at what we've achieved. 
we get introspective and we figure out what do we want more of, what do we want less of, and what do we want to keep. And then we physically, using about 15 different tools and exercises, create our life by design for the next year. And this is called your year off. So year off, my year off this year is 12-hour work week. So my life by design this year is going from a 12-hour working day to a 12-hour working week because I just want to try, before I go all guns blazing for another decade, I just want to try taking my foot off the gas and see if there is more to life, making coleslaw and playing the piano. So like just giving that a crack. And then we have professional objectives and personal objectives. And that's what life by design is. And some years you want to be, like last year I wanted to bulk up. So I, I put on loads of weight. I went weightlifting, got a bit bigger, and I went all guns blazing with the companies. Got to the end of the year and I was like, actually, it's probably time for a bit of a health and fitness tidy up, trim down a bit. And then in the business, I'm just going to try not doing 12-hour days, but do a 12-hour week. And you just, it gives you the freedom every year to reset the bar. And that was how I ended up living on Narrowboat. That's how I ended up running a big multi-million pound group. That's how I ended up doing a 12-hour work week. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's very intentional. It's very deliberate. It's an interesting time for you then to see if this kind of, you know, change of lifestyle is you. I guess, and um, see whether or not you can do that. Yeah, and it's uh, really, really challenging. It's, uh, I think people think, you know, going down to work in 10 until 2, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday would be a piece of cake, but um, I find it really difficult. It's like there's so many things. I did a podcast last week on the official property entrepreneur podcast called Hunt Like a Lion, and for those who are interested, I talk in there about different work styles like fast lane slow lane um work-life balance work-life blend and i'm like hunting like a lion at the minute so i'll have a day which is like a monster monday maybe and it's like back to back to do this task smash it all out but then maybe i won't work tuesday wednesday thursday so like lion goes out catches his prey sits under the tree and relaxes i think that's probably the best place to be but I'm like addicted to it. So it's so hard. Yeah. And so now you've got to fill all this time, you know, and there's, there's only so much piano playing, I guess. This is it, right? It's like, I think there's two people, two types of people in this world. There's those who need to be busy and productive, which is me. And there's those that could be quite happy pottering around, chilling out, watching telly. And I think what I've found so far is I love to be productive. Now I just need to figure out where does that happen obviously yeah there's there's so many questions but that's why you have a year to explore it and the the good thing is the good stuff that drops out at the bottom of your life by design like i'm only connected to my phone 10 till 2 tuesday wednesday thursday so that will probably stay because i'm addicted to my phone i'm glad i've got it out of my life and it's quite works quite well during that time i'm reactive i'm engaged but in the morning you know i've been out walking for an hour this morning i've been creative i've been listening to some music that'll keep whereas having a strict rule that i can't work outside of those hours i probably won't keep because i don't think uh yeah i don't think it suits me before we finish i don't know where, i don't know when we're finishing but do you want to come back to best time ever yeah let's do that should we do that yeah so this is like success and to sort of round it up success and failure are very predictable and if you do bury your head in the sand and decide that okay inflation's going up i'm not really i mean you'll notice it today fuel bills are going to go up the shops are going to start looking a bit empty 
and everything really is going to start ratchet up. And for those that are perhaps those that are perhaps more sensitive to that are going to notice it very quickly. Others of us might notice it at more arm's length. But the main thing is say, right, there's big change coming. And most people read the headlines and get panic, get nervous. The world's going to end. And it's like, I don't, I'm not surprised because that's what media is for. It's to put the, you know, fear of lot, fear of God into people. Whereas if you look at it and say, right, there's big change coming. What do we do? So it's like, right, let's just rattle a few off. So we talked earlier about inflation. Inflation will probably, it might, it might only peak and then come back down. It will probably or possibly go into double digits in the next six months because of energy prices, because of supply chain coming out at, of at, uh, supply chain globally, because of manufacturing in China being shut down again because of like COVID. All of this stuff is going to force up, force down supply. Demand won't go anywhere, but it will force up prices. So inflation is going to go up. And it's like, well, fine. So what does that mean? Well, inflation going up means prices go up and everything's asked oh, really, really bad. Thing. Well, it's a really, really bad thing if you're earning the same money and you can't afford it. That's a really bad thing. But if money's going, what inflation means, if price is going up, it means the value of money is going down. So if the value of money is going down, so in a year's time, £10 would only be worth £9. A million quid would only be worth 900 grand. Then what do you do to, to offset that? Economics has been around forever. Investment is like a multi, multi-billion pound industry. When inflation goes up, so do asset prices. Inflation goes up, cash comes down, asset prices go up. So where previously, for the last two years, I've had 12 months working capital in the bank and loads of cash around us. So well, well, that's a really bad thing to do because all that's going to go down 5%, 8%, 10%. Well, where do I put it then? Well, I need to find somewhere to put it. Where can I put it where it's secure and things like that? So that capital's now gone into going into assets. And I've gone from probably, I'd have to work out the actual numbers. I started playing with it the other day. Probably 30% of my net wealth in cash, which is really, really high. But Warren Buffett's got 50. So that's like, was fine for me when interest rates are low and inflation's low. Inflation's going up. I'm going to take that down to probably 5% use some of my unencumbered assets as, or, or you can pay off some of your years, unencumbered assets as my get out of jail free card, re reduce my liquidity and put it into assets. So then not only is it not going down, if it's in a property or a school, like we've started buying private schools or a school or a commercial building, those prices will then go up. So actually inflation is a good thing because you've bought something, but your cash, which was going down into a property that's going up, that's then going up and also, across the rest of your portfolio, inflation is one of the best ways to repay your mortgage. Now, if you've got an interest-only mortgage, you could put it on repayment or you can let inflation pay off. If you've got a million pounds worth of mortgages around you, next year, they're only going to be worth, they're only going to cost you 900 grand in real terms. So it's like things like that. And it's like free bed, semi-detached houses. I love them. I would have a thousand of them if I could. I'm buying one at the minute, which was just a, a crazy deal. But I would love to go out and buy 100 of those now, but I can't. So what can I do? Well, in August last year, there was loads of new permitted development released. So I'm like, well, I've got some cash. I'm going to put it into commercial buildings because it's got a guaranteed yield. And commercial is in a pretty good place at the minute. 
because the supply is reduced because of the amount of development and the, the economy is coming back. But then if I buy commercial that's got airspace using the new, um, I forget which, I think it's AB, you can basically do airspace under, it's called PD, but it's actually more of a loose planning process. But out of that, I bought a 30,000 square foot block, run that as commercial, put 44 apartments on the top. Everyone's a winner. And then you're like, oh, well, you're not going to be a winner though because success and failure are very predictable and the cost of steel has gone through the roof. So you can't do your airspace. Well, you then look at alternative construction methods. And we're now talking to a company that's two years old and they're doing modular. And not only do we not disturb the commercial tenants, but they build them offsite. They're in dry from day one, in the dry from day one. And in five days, they can literally, with a crane, drop them on the roof, plumb them in, and you're down to final fix within like three or four days. It's like success and failure are very predictable. It's easier said than done. But if you're creative, dynamic, entrepreneurial, and you've still got, I think entrepreneurship, one of the things I realized this year is it's an all-in or an all-out game. If you want to be an entrepreneur that you're dipping in at the weekends, that's fine, but you treat it like a hobby or pay you like a hobby. If you want to go all in and make the best returns, have the best businesses, make those quick first move advantages, you do need to be pretty close to the game. Um, so, yeah, and also, yeah, yeah, all things like that. And whilst no one's invested, you know, I spoke about this previously, whilst no one's invested in businesses at the minute, the M&A market's through the roof. So it's like you're looking at capital values of property. You also have capital values of businesses. And like Asda's going go to, no, not Asda, Asda sold last year. One of the other big companies is going to bids. Uh, I forget who it is, one of the big supermarkets, going to like blind bids. So if you know how to use funding or investment capital or private venture equity or M&A, that space is booming. You think, well, how's, there's a world war bubbling up and inflation's through the roof and there's no deals. Well, that's, that's happening that side of the fence. What can we do this side of the fence to capitalise? And we did that through COVID successfully. And everyone listening to this can go and do that now, but you just really need to know what to do, how to play the game, and then go out and go out and play it. Okay, what an amazing place to wind up this interview. I think so, you know, <laughs> fantastic advice. So look, let's just say that you know, if anyone's listening to this, you definitely, definitely need to be listening to um the official property entrepreneurs podcast. Um, you know, Dan's on that all the time, sharing these, you know, amazing advice and real life examples as well, because that's how we cement our learning i think isn't it of, you know we look at what people have actually achieved so uh, i would I would massively recommend you doing that so um dan's been a total pleasure today as always um thank you for dumbing it down just enough for me to understand today pleasure to see you thanks for having me take
Oh, 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 oh,